What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Spurs Cast, episode 517. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am the host of the Spurs Cast. Joining me for this episode will be Project Spurs' own Tom Petrini. If you're on Twitter, him, please follow him at RealTomPetrini. In our discussion, Tom and I discussed the Spurs' last two games where they beat the Rockets and lost the Sacramento Kings. We have a, a quick discussion on the, the minutes and how Coach Popovich will distribute them uh, once uh, the, most of the team is healthy, especially with um, Rudy Gay back. Uh, with Derek White getting healthy, and then with DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge still being on the floor with most that starting a lineup. We have a discussion on one of Tom's uh, most recent articles called Friday Film, What's Wrong with Aldridge's Jumper? Well, we discuss um, LaMarcus Aldridge's um, mid-range jumper and how it hasn't been falling at, at the level that we're used to seeing uh, his shot um, go down uh, early on in the season. Uh, I have a conversation with Tom about his uh, one-on-one interview he recently had with Jakob Pertle. And then lastly, we preview the Spurs' next up, uh, upcoming games against the, the Phoenix Suns, the Los Angeles Clippers, the Golden State Warriors, and the New Orleans Pelicans. So please enjoy my conversation with Tom Petrini. And now joining me from Austin, Texas, is Project Spurs' own Tom Petrini. Tom, how you doing, man? You came in from Boston, and now you're here in Austin? I, I'm doing great. I'm very happy to be a new Texan. Uh, I love it down here. It's a little cold, honestly. I was not expecting it. Uh, it's a bit rainy. It's a bit cold. But I, I still very much love it down here. Yeah, uh, we've been – I mean, I, obviously, it's you know <laughs> a lot of different weather factors. But uh, last year, we had, like, one of our coldest winters in a long time. It, it was it snowed here in San Antonio, I'm pretty sure, in Austin. So you got away from Boston, but the, the, the cold weather followed you. Uh, so how, Go ahead. Brought it down with me. <laughs> so uh, how, how are you um, – how are you enjoying uh, Austin so far and just being a resident here in Texas? Oh, it's a great place. I mean, the people are just nicer down here. There's there's something about it. Um, and 
Yeah, there's room, there's room to stretch your legs. You know, I have a backyard, which I haven't had for a long time. Um, and I love, I love tacos for every meal and H-E-B and, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just getting really into it. It's, uh, this is where I'm supposed to be, I think. <laughs> yeah. And especially since you're in Austin, you got brisket all around the corner, man. That's what I, that's here, me here in San Antonio. That's what I do like to go to Austin for is brisket specifically. Um, okay, Tom. So let's go to get into this, uh, Spurs cast episode 517, uh, Spurs cast listeners, please follow him on Twitter at real Tom Petrini. Uh, let's begin Tom by, by discussing the Spurs last two games since the last time I recorded, uh, they, they had a weird, um, schedule basically these last two games where they beat the team they weren't supposed to beat which was houston on saturday in san antonio they were the underdog the spurs and they ended up winning by seven um that was a close game for most of the night then in the third quarter the spurs kind of pulled away with an 11 point lead uh kind of midway through the third the rockets brought it all the way down to one point in crunch time and then with 339 left the spurs outscored houston uh seven to four and it was Derek White's second game, and he had a big three to help the San Antonio push that that lead uh, from from one to four. Then, in a game the Spurs were were supposed to win against the Sacramento Kings on Monday, they ended up losing by five points. Um, Sacramento led most of the game pretty comfortably by like seven to ten points around there. Uh, San Antonio uh, got close with 5:11 left. The whole game was tied at 90, but then the, the Kings put up a 10-0 run and ended up outscoring the Spurs 14 to five. So kind of just what are your, your, your thoughts, your takeaways from these last two games? So I think that, you know, obviously we have the idea in our heads, right? The Rockets are one thing and the Kings are something completely different. And I, I don't think it's super accurate this year to say that the Rockets were the team that were supposed to beat the Spurs and the Kings were the team that was supposed to lose. The, the Rockets this year have not been good. They, you know... They've, got, they've dealt with some suspensions. They've, you know, had some injuries with Harden, but they they've been really genuinely struggling. And and Harden was awful in that game against the Spurs. He shot like seven of twenty-seven, one of thirteen from three. Um, it was a, it was an ugly performance, and it was kind of an off night for DeRozan too. He only had thirteen points, um, and three assists, but I mean. The Rockets are in disarray. What did they score? Like 80? It was 80-something yeah. points. The Spurs mm-hmm. held them to 21 points or under in three different quarters. And what are they doing with Melo? I mean, they, <laughs> they're 11 games into the season, and already it's like he's worn out as welcome. You, you think the Spurs should bring him in? No, I don't. I, I, I got <laughs> asked that question uh, on Twitter, and... No, I, you know, their issue is defense. They're trying to become a top 10 defense again, and, and uh, Addy Mello would not do that. I know he's a good mid-range shooter, and he likes to do that, something Houston didn't like. But, no, I don't think that he fits their culture. And I don't know if it was him, but I, I went to a conference a few years ago in, in a summer, and uh, myself and Colin Reed from Project Spurs, and we overheard a, a former Spurs um, front office personnel, Trajan Langdon. I think he works with the Nets now. Anyway, he basically revealed a, a story where he didn't name the player, but he was saying that at one point – um, a few years ago, the Spurs had a chance of getting a, a, a you know a current All-Star player, and uh, and you know and and he didn't want to give us the name, but we kind of just based on all like the, the the criteria he was describing, it sounded like they had a chance at Carmelo Anthony, and it almost sounded like the big three, Tim, Manu, and Tony, said no to that decision. Now again, I don't know if it was exactly Carmelo, but just based on that story he told, uh, it sounded like Carmelo was the guy that he was describing that day. I I can totally picture 
the big three, Popovich, everybody in the organization, but especially Popovich, saying hell no to Carmelo Anthony. Can you imagine what Pop would do if there were three spurs around a defensive rebound and Melo jumped up and accidentally? Can you imagine what Pop would do? <laughs> Man, you know, I, I don't even want to imagine what he would do. He would just, you know, it wouldn't be good for, for Melo and just the team. So, yeah, I, I honestly don't think that they're going to have any interest in him if he becomes a free agent pretty soon. Oh, no. But but the Kings, the, where, where the Rockets are really struggling, the Kings are playing well this year. They're, they're what, 8-6 and six after last night? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. They've got a bunch of young players, but they they just – flat out out executed the Spurs down the stretch in that game last night. I mean, with five minutes left, the Spurs tied it up. And then the Kings went on a 10-0 run in which LaMarcus Aldridge turned the ball over twice. DeRozan turned it over once and missed a shot. And they banged threes and, you know, got out in transition and lobbed it and Cauley-Stein dunked it. And after that, it was pretty much over. Yeah, and that was a game where, actually, going back to last week's Spurs cast with, with uh, Benjamin Bornstein, I actually uh, picked the Kings to win that game. And it was just something where I, I'm very much like 80% of my, my predictions come off the math, what it says, the numbers, and then the other 20% is like gut feeling. And I really liked what the numbers were painting on Sacramento, so I, I took a chance there. And I, and I wasn't sure if they beat the Spurs, but they ended up winning. And I was kind of rooting for them just because I wanted to be right, um, just for, for more so my self-confidence you know, in, in my predictions. But um. Yeah, I mean, they look good. Uh, San Antonio's defense just always looked on their heels. I, I tweeted that, you know, in that in that dribble handoff action between Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox and one of the bigs. Yeah. Uh, the Spurs' is bigs, you know, they're, they're LaMarcus Aldridge, they're Jakob Pertles. They just they, they just don't have that foot speed to laterally, laterally move around and, and kind of just contain those kind of players. And obviously that, that opens up the offense and cuts to the Spurs' defense. I think one big thing that the Kings did was they, they have the length to switch a lot on defense, and that was tough. And then once they got that lead late in the fourth quarter, we kind of saw the pitfalls of having a team where the two best players by far don't shoot threes. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I agree. You know, in that last two minutes and 30 seconds, it was Rudy Gay missing a three, Brent Forbes missing a three, Patty Mills. Um, Bertans hit a couple off of DeRozan assists, but, I mean, when – when your best players don't do that very important thing and you're you're trying to claw back into a game, that responsibility then gets transferred to more role players. And sometimes they'll make those shots, but on the road after a 10-0 run, you know, that's, that's tougher. Um, so I, I think we definitely saw some of the drawbacks of the Spurs' extremely potent mid-range attack. Um, not a great way come back quick in a game yeah and that was something i brought up with ben last week uh you know the spurs are now um i want to say it's one in five if i check my stats but yeah they're one in five when when they fall behind by 10 points and i asked him this question i'll ask you this do you feel that when they do fall behind by you know 10 to to 15 points it's really tough for this team to to try to call back just because they don't have that outside volume for their two core guys yeah i i think it's definitely a problem because even if the Spurs possession goes perfectly and they, you know, manage to hit a jumper, then they're in a position where they're taking a pretty low efficiency efficiency shot. And 
then if if it winds up with a long rebound, they 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 have to defend in transition, and you know this trading really work. It doesn't it doesn't work anytime, but I mean you know they they need to tighten up on defense. There are a lot of things that this team can do better, mm-hmm. but and you know if they tighten up on defense, maybe they won't find themselves in these holes. But when you're when you're trying to dig out of one. It's very difficult to do that with, you know, turnaround jumpers from 15 feet. Yeah, and, and you know, something that, that, you know, you bring up the math part, and it's something that's interesting is that eight of their first 12 games have been, you know, close games where they've been in crunch time. And part of that, again, is like what you just said. It's like teams are, are trading away threes, and the Spurs are giving them long twos, which in the end, it's going to keep – Spurs are never able to build a lead. Obviously, they've had a few early blowouts, but not but not as many as, as you're used to seeing with the San Antonio team. Um, let's go ahead and get into our second topic, Tom. And, and this one's a little – you know, when we first started, started prepping these notes, it seemed like an urgent topic, but I guess not as much because now the Spurs have just announced uh, – on um, Tuesday that you and I are recording this, that, that Rudy Gay is going to sit out of their Wednesday game at Phoenix. So Rudy Gay will be resting. It's not, he's not hurt. He's just resting. Um, and But it, but it, it, this topic involves Rudy Gay. So one thing I saw mostly from that Rockets game was that uh, there, there was a little bit of imbalance in terms of getting DeMar to get his kind of, you know, his game uh, creating um, scoring while, while Derek White was handling more of the point guard duties. So one, one thing uh, that, that you're seeing now is that the staggering uh, pop might need to start implementing that uh, with four high usage players potentially in the starting lineup when you have DeMar DeRozan out there, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, Rudy Gay and Derek White. So one way that Pop's kind of done this just early on in one sample size is he brought Rudy Gay off the bench. Now, I don't know if that's going to stick or if that was just because it was Gay's first game back from injury. But uh, what, what do you think Pop should do uh, to, to make sure that these four high-usage guys uh, continue to kind of get the, that, that balanced offensive uh, system where they each get their own? Well, I think, you know, obviously, DeMar DeRozan, to start this season has been assisting incredibly well um, mm-hmm. at, at a race that he's really never done before in his career. And part of that is because, in essence, he's been playing the point guard position next to Bryn Forbes in the backcourt, who's more of a, you know... Yeah. In terms of play style, he's more of a shooting guard. And so now that there's more of a true point guard in the lineup, and Derek White is a... Very good point guard. We'll we'll talk about him in a second, but I mean he's a very very good passer setup guy, um, and I I think it's actually good that now some of the playmaking um, responsibility comes off of DeRozan. Um, I think you 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 hit on earlier saying that this team needs defense, and that's that's really what they're striving for. And I think that we'll see the lineup continue to shuffle until it gets a consistent and reliable defensive result. Um, and I, I understand the concerns with wanting DeRozan to handle the ball more, but you know maybe that's not super sustainable. Maybe it's better to have it so that you know they both guards are kind of sharing the point guard responsibilities. Um, I think in terms of staggering minutes, the thing that I want to think about, the thing that is on my mind is defense. And, you know, there, there are certain lineups that they've thrown out there that have three or four guys in it. 
you know, I'm, I'm talking about Patty Mills. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Marco Bellinelli, Kyle Gasol. Like, oh, like, oh yeah. Four guys out on the court at the same time. I'm like, I'm screaming into a pillow because it is it. It's tough. It's I mean, you you've got to you got to pick your spots to use some of those guys, but mm-hmm. altogether, it's kind of tough for that bench unit. Um. What, what do you think is needs to be the priority with, with staggering minutes? Um, you know, I, I really think that you got to try to have at least one or two of, um, you know, those four players, DeRozan, Gay, Aldridge, or White on the floor. Um, I'd actually like to see White a little bit more with that second unit. And, and you're right. I mean, that's something that uh, myself and Bruno Passos always point out is like when, when the second unit comes in, when you have like Patty out there and Marco and Powell, and it's just like, you know, it's just you just know they're going to get shredded defensively. Um, and, and that's a, that's kind of kind of a concern because it's like it's like you either start those four players early on, or you have one of them um, come off the bench. Maybe maybe working out with Rudy Gay off the bench might work. But again, they don't have anybody who's a go-to defender on that on that second unit, especially now that Pop's starting Dante Cunningham as a starting unit, um, and Cunningham's getting more of his run in that with that first unit. So I almost feel like they have to kind of take a hit defensively with that second unit, but. Be, be, if you're going to do that, you need to at least out, outscore the opponent, and that's something where I don't think that they're doing that. And so having one of these four players play with that second unit a little bit more as the main creator uh, could help. Can we can we just take a second? Um, Derek White through his first couple games here. I mean, I can't I can't find a single hole in the kid's game. Everything he does is good to great at least i mean am i am i missing anything is is there any glaring gap in his skill set i mean not right now i mean obviously i, I think that I, I think i want to see what the shot to be a little bit more aggressive now obviously it's only three games but i feel like when he makes them he, he just lets it fly but I, I saw like a possession yesterday where he missed a shot and then he kind of just like he kind of just uh, deferred he, he moved the ball instead of taking uh, a pretty good look but outside of that i mean the kid like you just mentioned like here's a stat for you derozan is assisting on 30% of the Spurs' made baskets. That's that's in the 100th percentile uh, assist percentage, which is like a James Harden level assist percentage. Derek White in just his first three games is assisting on 36% of the Spurs' made baskets. What? Um, yeah. So I mean, he he, he doesn't have a, a percentile because he hasn't played that many games or that many minutes. But I mean, his he he's he's such a um and his like uh, what is it assist to usage rate is also really 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 good right now. Uh, considering he's only been he's back. Amazing passer exactly he's, mm-hmm. he's an incredible passer and he's a really good defender the the principles of his defense the attention to detail is remarkable and you know he's he's one of these guys coming out of college four-year guy and the the stat the the report on him the scouting report on him was yeah he does everything pretty well we just don't know what he's great at like and you know you see so many 18, 19 year old prospects getting drafted and they're, you know, they're raw. They're, they still got, they've got no jump shot. They've got some, you know, they've never played defense, whatever. Um, They've got some things they need to work on. And then you get a guy who spent time developing as a player in college and his road to the NBA is a, a really remarkable story, but he finishes college and he's a polished prospect. And, you know, and the Spurs had like a, a very sound player to work with. And yeah, I, I think he should be the starting point guard for the rest of the year. Um, and I think he makes a really excellent pairing next to DeRozan because 
he does play that excellent defense. He's really big for a point guard. Yeah, six five. Mm-hmm. And he can hit. He can hit that outside shot. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know. Obviously, Forbes is a great shooter from outside, but White can shoot that shot reliably enough and also defend both guard positions and some small forwards. You know. Yeah. Like, I I really like that kid's game, and I think he's going to make a huge impact on both ends of the floor, really. Yeah, and that's why I do want to see him eventually get some minutes with the second unit because I feel like his pick-and-roll abilities is just re- really, really crafty. I mean, he's so patient in it. He can get, he can set guys up on the roll, find guys in the pick-and-pop, get to the rim himself. And I feel like that's something that's kind of constrained because he's right next to DeRozan. And, you know, they kind of have to pick and choose, you know, who, who gets to handle at that time. And, and they both attack. And DeRozan's a good pick-and-roll player, too. I like to watch him in the pick-and-roll. So I feel like... If I want to see a, a White's uh, pick-and-roll game evolve, I think we got to see him uh, in lineups where he's not right next to DeMar, especially since DeMar doesn't spot up well. You know, from three, he's just not a, he's just not a guy who, who spaces the floor well because of his mid-range uh, a jumper. So so I do eventually want to see uh, White uh, get get more minutes, uh, you know, with that second where he can kind of be the sole creator for them. Um, and, you know, I was really high on him even at Summer League. You know, I, I sounded crazy, I think, in one Spurs cast, like in July or August, where I had told John Diaz, like, I, I want to – I think that – at this point, Murray was healthy, and so I thought that I said eventually Derek White will be so good that he might start at the shooting guard, like down the line this season. And, and at first, I sounded kind of crazy, but now you know it looks—he's he, like you just mentioned—he's probably going to be the starting point guard the rest of the year uh, while, while Murray's out. And and in that time, I expect him to only get better. I mean, this, mm-hmm. this kid is still young and still learning, and you know he he seems to be picking it up really well. Um, so. I'm I'm definitely very excited looking forward to you know watching him develop a little more. Yeah, for sure. Uh let's go to get into our third topic, Tom. And that's uh that's that's the guy you wrote about. Uh so you had a really interesting piece uh last week called um uh where where where's it at? Uh, it disappeared. Here it is. Okay, you called you had a piece called Friday Film. It was on Friday it came out, should I say? <laughs> uh you said Friday Film, what's wrong with Lamarcus Aldridge's jumper? And this is a really good piece because this is something that, that, you know, both the eye test and even the stats both show that LaMarcus has been struggling to start the year uh, with his with his um, his mid-range jumpers, a shot that he, he he always goes to. And it's always been one of his defaults for him as one of his strengths. Um, so LaMarcus is averaging 18.9 points. He's, he's uh, grabbing 10 and a half rebounds, 17 shots a game and only shooting 43.6 percent, um, you know, from that from the short mid-range. Uh, he's taking 25% of his shots, which is in the 74th percentile among bigs. Now, he's only making 33% of those, which is in the 39th percentile among bigs, and that's that's not good. Now, from the long mid-range, which is outside of 14 feet, he's attempting 32% of his shots, which is 99th in terms of frequency, which is elite for a big. But he's only making 31% of those outside shots between uh, uh, 14 feet uh, and, and the three-point line, which is uh, and he so he's in the 28th percentile. Now, now you your your article is really good because you started kind of breaking down the mechanics and, and what you think is going on with his jumper. And so, can you just kind of uh, give the listeners some of what what you took away from from writing that article and, and your film observations and and whether or not you think this is a, a problem that's going to continue or you think that the the averages will just kind of shake themselves out? Yeah. So, first of all, I, when you said um, that. Aldridge was uh, considered elite in terms of how many shots he took from the long mid-range. That kind of mm-hmm. made me chuckle because it's like that's not something you want to be elite at. <laughs> yes, yeah, inefficient shots the most times. Um, <laughs> and he, like you know, 
what we've always said about the Spurs is, yeah, they got these mid-range shooters. Yeah, that's not the way the game of basketball is going overall, but they have guys who can hit that shot. Aldridge, you know, Kawhi when he was on the team. Now DeRozan, Rudy Gay. You know, guys guys who really love that 8 to 15 feet, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but he hasn't been hitting it this year. Mm-hmm. He is 32% outside the restricted area. And his shooting percentage is down inside the restricted area, too. Um, I was hoping this year that we would finally see him start to step out and hit those threes, at least from the corner, you know? Um, that it's gone the opposite way. He's 0 for 5 on three-point attempts this season. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, he uh, is shooting really, really bad. There's, There's no... Especially for him, especially for a guy who kind of made his name for himself as a big man, as one of the guys with the smoothest jumper in the league. And looking at the mechanics, looking at the way it's gone for him, it's strange because, you know, he's getting a lot of open looks mm-hmm. out of with DeMar DeRozan, which is something he didn't have last year. Last year he was creating out of the post, you know, on the block, putting his shoulders into guys, dribbling the ball, and fading away a lot of the time over double teams. You know, he was taking harder shots and, you know, making a higher clip. And this year, there, there are definitely a couple of mechanical things um, I've noticed that are kind of troubling. Um, there, there's, on his fadeaways, he seems to be kicking his right leg. Uh-huh, I saw that a lot more frequently than he has in his career. And a lot of people pointed out, like, you know, that's Dirk's shot. Dirk made a career making that shot. And it's like, okay, well, LaMarcus Aldridge didn't. LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, didn't really have much of a jump shot until he got injured at Texas. And then he, you know, sat in a chair in front of the basket and learned to shoot that way. LaMarcus Aldridge's best jump shots don't come with a lot of motion in his lower body. It's very, you know, relaxed. He's kind of leaning back. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of unnecessary motion, a lot of, like, flailing, um, you know, especially on fadeaways, but on just jump shots in general when she, when he's down by the basket. Um, it's too much motion. Um, and also, I think one, one thing that we need to consider is that... Um, you know, he's he's playing primarily center position now. And mm-hmm. where for most of his career he was a bigger power forward who is playing against guys who don't have a, a prayer of blocking his shot. Now he's playing against guys who are seven feet tall with plus wingspans and they can they have the length to defend when they anticipate the fadeaway. Um so and they and they're also tougher in the paint, mind. Mm-hmm. And when you're playing against a guy like that, you have to work harder. You have to play more physically in the post. You have to, you know, protect the rim a little bit more. And, you know, maybe that's tiring him out a little bit. He's playing a lot of minutes this year. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if his legs were a little tired. But there, there are a lot of little things that are wrong with his jump shot. It's not like there's one thing that I can point to that's like, that's it. He needs to fix this and then it'll go away. It's, it's consistently inconsistent and you know he's aiming his shots a little bit 
that sounds weird. Like, why wouldn't you want to aim your shot? But the bottom line is you don't you don't want these guys to think about it. You want mm-hmm. a professional basketball player to hit a shot because he's done it so many times and the muscle memory is there. And it's just a, you know, a, no thought goes into it. It's just your arm do the thing and the ball goes in the hole. And if at the top of your release you're thinking about the center or you're thinking about how you're, you know, 2 of 14 from the, for the night and it's like, oh, God, I hope this one goes in. Yeah. Thinking about that at the top of your release, like, it's it's not a good situation. So, I mean, I don't think he's going to continue to struggle like this. You know, it happens. It, it happens with shooters. But if it doesn't get better, the Spurs are in trouble. I mean, they, they need him to be effective from there to be effective at all. Yeah, you know, I I have uh, I wanted to bring up two things. Like one that you pointed out, and I agree with you completely, um, is the part about him playing more center. You know, Pop has normally made him a four um, in his time with the Spurs, and even of course of Portland. And this year, you know, ever since their defensive issues in those those first four games, Pop immediately went to him at center, and then Dante Cunningham at the four. And um, you know that that's having an effect because even like you mentioned, right next to the rim, he's only shooting sixty five percent, which is in the forty first percentile. So again, there's that length of the bigs with him. It feels like bigs. He's not even getting good position near the rim. He's not able to bully guys because of their size and length, and so he's catching it a little bit further, you know, outside of four feet. And from that range, he's only shooting like like 36, 33 percent. Now the one, so so I feel like his short mid range game and and kind of right near the rim is that's going to continue to struggle all year, just because like you mentioned, that's just a new adjustment for him playing against uh, bigger centers at, at at the five. Now the, I do think that the long mid range is going to get better. I just feel like. It's almost like a shock to him that he's so wide open from DeMar's passes and he's just not used to it. It's almost like that that when, when you're playing ball and you just know that like, you know, when you get a wide open shot, you're almost expected to make it. So there's a little bit of pressure because you're almost you're, you're just like expected to make it. For, so for him, I feel like that will be kind of an adjustment. Maybe he's in his head right now with that long mid-range shot. But if they're if they're still open, I feel like we just got to wait and give him some games. And I feel like eventually he'll pick it back up to that. Uh, for his long mid-range, he's about a career 42% shooter. I added up his numbers earlier today. So so I do, again, think that the short mid-range, because of the, the length like you brought up going against fives, I think that's going to continue to be an issue for him. Whereas the long mid-range, I, I do expect that shot to get better. And, you know, I still wonder, why doesn't he just shoot the three? You mentioned corner threes. He hasn't taken one this entire season. He's only taken five, like you said. And that's just something where he used to bring it up in, in training camp that he would, oh, I'm going to shoot the long ball. But then he didn't. I don't think he even brought up this past this past uh, 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 October in training camp just because I don't think he, you know he's just not going to tr- try to put the effort into trying right. to shoot that shot. And you know, it is something that has always baffled me because it's like even if if you only like 25, 30 percent, just let a couple fly so they have to step out a couple extra steps and guard. You know. If you if you're never gonna even attempt shots from there, it is it, it makes it tougher for everybody else on the offense to score. And let me just say this. Lamarcus Aldridge, even though the thing that he does best, he is not doing well at all, he's he's having a very productive year. Yep, he's, for sure. I, I wrote about it a week ago, before I wrote about his broken jump shot. I was writing about how how well he was playing the center position. You know, he's offensive rebounding at an elite level. Yep. He's scoring at an elite level for a center, even though he's, you know, not shooting his shot well at all. And and he's been a pretty solid defender at the rim. I mean, 
you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's he's been stepping up and making it difficult for opposing centers and anybody attacking him in the pick and roll. He's he's been the Spurs' most prominent rim protector this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And uh, yeah, like that's the thing is like the other stuff on in his game, he's still doing really well. Especially that part about, like you mentioned, like the offensive rebounding. Um, he's really taking advantage there. So, yeah, he's still a really good player. You know, obviously he can he could just get even a level better this season if he can just get that mid-range shot to co- go down. So that's kind of all we're talking about here uh, in terms of, of, of a little bit of criticism for, for Aldridge early on in the season. But, again, you know, I, look at the numbers. I mean, he, he – in the short mid-range, he's a career over 43% from there. And then on the long mid-range, 42%. And, again, this is just a small sample size. Uh, and And – Time does say that LaMarcus will eventually figure it out. Uh, I'm optimistic because, you know, he still has so much room for improvement at something that he has proven over the course of his career, where he's been a a several-time All-Star, that he does that at an elite level. So he can still, he can pick up those points that he's leaving on the table. And, you know, then I think when he does that, then then the Spurs team is legit. Yeah, for sure. I, I I agree with those with those points. Uh, let's go to move on to our fourth uh, topic, Tom, and that's um that's that's Jakob Pertl. Now uh, he held a, he held an event here in San Antonio last week that you were able to attend as as a media member. Um, can you go ahead and, and just just kind of describe the setting and and what you were doing and and how you got to interview Pertl and all, and what the interview was about? Yeah, it was. Uh, I was truly living the dream. It was he won a uh, a, a kit at this elementary school won the um spurs what you're reading uh competition uh, uh-huh. from Whataburger. and so it was a pep rally uh to encourage reading at this elementary school on like a friday afternoon in a packed gym uh teachers deserve raises i know you're a teacher man um te- teachers are really the best thank you so much for educating these loud loud children um, <laughs> yeah but, so, so he talked about how he loved uh, Harry Potter growing up and uh, did some vocabulary bingo with the fourth grade class. Um, and there were a bunch of kids, like student reporters, that asked him questions. Oh, that's that cool. Um, but I talked to him after he was done with that, and he's, he's a really interesting guy. He um, is the first and only Austrian to ever play in the NBA. Uh, so talk to him about, um, you know, what that's like, cause he's trying to build it in his home country so that, you know, one day he won't be the only Austrian to ever play. Um, and then, you know, I, I was looking through old videos, uh, in preparation for interviewing him. And after he was drafted by the Raptors, you know, somebody asked who he was excited to play against. And he said, well, Kevin Garnett. And she could play against Tim Duncan, and then he's Marcus Aldridge and Pau Gasol. Um, and so now, for him to be in an organization with the three of them, you know, he's he's learning a lot from all three. And said he's been playing against Tim Duncan one on one in practice a lot uh, in three on threes. So really interesting stuff from him. Yeah, and Spurscast listeners, uh, we're going to go ahead and run the, the audio for you right now of that interview uh, where, where, where Pertle, uh d- discusses this with, with Tom. After you were drafted by the Raptors, you mentioned Tim Duncan, Pau Gasol, and LaMarcus Aldridge as players that you were excited to play against or with Tim, you know, you wish you could play against him. Yeah. What's it like to be in an organization with all three and learn from all of them? I mean, it's, it's great, obviously. And they all three of them bring different stuff to the table, like... Uh, 
There's so much I can learn from them by playing against them, watching them, just like them giving me tips and tricks. Like they have so much experience, all of them together. Um, it's, it's a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> like, what do you think each of them does best that you're trying to pick from each of their games? Hmm. Oh, that's, that's a tough question, and I'm, I'm not really like singling out like things that I want to learn from each and every one of them. It's just like whatever I can grasp, whatever I can pick up. So. With Tim, for example, it's we're, he's playing a lot of three or three against us, so I get to play like it's like a little bit of one on one, three and three, like head to head against him. And there's so many little things that he does that I'm trying to like pick up and copy in a game. And yeah, with Powell and, and LA, it's it's a lot about the the Spurs way, the way we play basketball. Like um, if I make little mistakes on court in practice or even in a game, like they. They tell me about it. They they know how we want to play basketball, and yeah, I'm I'm trying to get better at that. So they're really happy with that. Again, so that's really cool, man. That you that you got that, that interview again. That was a Project Spurs exclusive right there, where Tom got to, to discuss uh, talk with Perto. Now on the court, Perto hasn't quite had the, the early part of the season that he that he was looking forward to. Um, you know, eight games, ten point four minutes, uh, one point eight points, and then three and a half rebounds. I, I'll, let's just talk about him for a little bit. Um, are you surprised, or do you think that it's just this kind of like normal? He's in a new system. He's under he's under Coach Pop. Or that he's struggling a little bit when he does get his minutes at at, at the five uh, as a backup five. So, I think it, it is a little bit surprising for me that Pop didn't stick with him as the mm-hmm. starting center because, um, you know, just the first couple games of the season, Pirtle was in starting at center and. Yeah, Marcus at the four, and Pirtle. I mean, he's only twenty three. He's younger than me, which is weird. Um, but he he has played well with the Rosen in Toronto, uh, um, and like we we've talked about how Aldridge's struggles can, in a lot of ways, be attributed to the new position he's playing. Um, Pirtle is the kind of guy who as a center, pairs very well with a guy like Aldridge. You know, Pirtle's game is more pick and roll than pick and pop. Um, he crashes the boards. He sets hard screens. Um, he does the kind of big man dirty work that frees up another big to take on the more scoring role. And and especially on defense, too. Like, having a legit seven-footer... Um, protecting the rim and playing against these other legit seven footers. I think that would have a pretty good impact on the defense. Um, what do you, why do you think he hasn't played a lot of minutes? I mean, he's, he's looked, he's gotten crossed over. He's gotten, you know, he got spun around last night. Um, yeah. But I mean, what, what are you saying? I mean, I mean, this is just more so like, uh, just kind of like a, a, um, I guess like a referendum on the whole league where I just feel like if you don't have that that skill set of being like a, a Clint Capella type player where you can kind of just set screens and run and dive to the rim, a DeAndre Jordan type, uh, a player that, that does that, or if you're not the, the pick and pop shooter like Aldridge or you just, you know, Kevin Love, like Blake Griffin, those those dynamic athlete, athletic players, uh, I just feel like the, the traditional five anymore doesn't really have a job anymore as much as the NBA. It's hard to get minutes. And so that's where I feel like that. That's why you're seeing that is on offense. He he doesn't do much outside of crash the boards, which is good. He he gets some second chance rebounds, 
he doesn't roll as, as, as he's not as effective in the role as I thought he would have been from what I saw in Toronto last year. Now maybe that's just early season minutes. And then defensively, I I just feel it's just my, it's just a personal thing for me is that I just feel like you can't. It's really hard to compete with these these three point shooting dynamic type teams with dribble handoff action, uh, increasing the pace with a traditional four and five like Aldridge and Pirtle. I do feel like you just have to play one traditional center uh, and a bunch of four, um, you know small small ball lineups around them to to compete defensively nowadays. And I think that's why the numbers show it that Pop stuck with Dante Cunningham because ever since he's gone to those those um, those smaller lineups, the Spurs have the Spurs' defense has just just gotten dramatically better since he went away from the traditional uh, two big men. So again, it's not, it's not so much on Pirtle. I just feel that it's just the NBA's changed so much. Pop had a quote recently where he basically said big men are bored because they can't ever get on the floor with, with just how fast the game's going. Yeah, the, the pace is definitely difficult, and the Spurs play at a slow pace when they can. But if another team speeds them up, gets them going in transition, uh, big guy like Pirtle is going to have a tough time. Let me let me ask you this. If if you were setting the starting lineup, what would it be with the players that are healthy now? The well, I, I still want okay, I, I want to see Derek White at the 1, um uh I DeRozan at the 2, Rudy Gay at the 3. Well, actually no, no, I don't even like Rudy Gay at the 3. I like him at the 4. So, um I would say Derek White probably just right now, I would say somebody like like Marco Bellinelli at the 2 just like or or uh, you know, <laughs> or Brent Forbes. I mean, actually, and then uh, DeRozan at the three, Rudy Gay at the four, and then Aldridge at the five. Oh, you need Cunningham in there. Never mind. Let's try that again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, it's yeah, hard. see, it's that's hard. the hardest we thing. We like is, to play on our on our keyboards, but I mean, yeah, it was hard. It's hard because yeah, it's like uh, you need Cunningham in there for the defense, but then you also need. I also like only Rudy Gay playing at the four defensively. I feel like he doesn't play well at the three when Pop was using him there. So I would say, and then but then again, De- DeRozan doesn't space the floor. So it's like so weird. Um, I, I would actually just say right now, um, Derek White at the at the one, DeRozan at the two, uh, uh, Cunningham at the three, Rudy Gay at the four, and Lamarcus at the five. Yeah, that's my ideal Spurs starting lineup right now. Okay, I think for me, I agree with you that White and DeRozan have to be the backcourt. Um, I would put Cunningham at the three. I would put. It depends on the matchup. I think. Yeah, yeah, for your, sure. Your lineup, your lineup for small ball lineup, that's that's the best way to do it. But I would love to see more of Pirtle in the starting lineup. So I would mm-hmm. go White, DeRose, uh, Cunningham, Aldridge, and Pirtle. Problem with that is you've got one guy on the floor that can shoot threes. So I mean, it's tough. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to figure out how to how to make this work. But if the majority of the time it's just going to be DeRozan and Aldridge initiating the offense and getting their shots, then, yeah. you know, obviously you want shooters around them so they, they don't get double teamed. That's another thing with Aldridge is he's, he's either matched up on a seven-footer or getting double teamed or sometimes both. Yeah. Right? Like teams are very aggressively throwing doubles at him when he touches the ball on the low block. It, it almost seemed like the Kings had four guys around him at all times. It's like they, yeah. it, it, it's like you have Derek White and you have Patty Mills and Brent out there, but it's almost like they didn't respect them as shooters because they were just kind of just all around the Marcus. So they just shrunk the floor so well. And of course, like you mentioned, you have DeRozan out there. He's not going to, he's not going to space the floor. So uh, it, it's just an interesting team. Um, 
you know, I, I feel like if, if they just had somebody else that was as good as Dante defensively, that would really help them who could do a little bit more offensively, but they just don't have that player on this roster. I think one thing that's, that's kind of been tough for me to watch too in this early part of the season is LaMarcus gets doubled in the post. You got to know it's coming, right? Yeah. You got to know that the other team is going to do that. And they did it a lot last year. I don't know. It, it seems like they forgot what they're supposed to do. You know, like they're, they're not really kicking the ball out and swinging it. He's taking, uh-huh. he's taking a bunch of bad shots in pick and rolls, in uh, post-ups when he gets doubled. And, you know, I think I think guys need to communicate better with him when a double team is coming. I think guys need to swing the ball more and, you know, move without it. Um, it's It's been kind of tough. I, I don't know if you're seeing that. But, yeah, um, I absolutely that. I, I honestly just feel, and the, and the numbers show it too. You know, they're not when they go to Aldridge as their as their kind of um, offensive attack, they do struggle a little bit. And and the numbers paint that picture as well with their on off numbers on that rating. It just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't look very good. And maybe again, it's it's only twelve games. Maybe there'll be some time where they'll have to adjust and figure that out. But the, but like you said earlier today, I mean, the, the mid range game is just not there. The post up that kind of offense just doesn't work in in today's NBA. So the Spurs are trying to make it work, but you know statistically, it's just not going to be there for them in today's NBA. I think it uh, does work when it's working, but mm-hmm. it's just not working right now. Like I I. I yeah, for sure. And I, I like everything that DeRozan brings, even though he's a mid-range shooter. I, I just I do like watching his game uh, when he operates, whether it's in pick and roll or, or through some of his one-on-one stuff. Um, let's go ahead and get on our last section, Tom, of the Spurs cast, uh, and let's go ahead and previewing the Spurs' next four games. So last time I only had to preview two games. Now they have a bunch of games coming up here, and there's some tough ones. I even threw this one on Twitter, uh, Spurs cast listeners. If you go to my Twitter account, you can go ahead and vote in a poll that's up for a day. Uh, on on how you think how many games the Spurs will win. So so let's go through this, Tom. Uh, their current offense is now uh, they're scoring 109.5 points per 100 possessions, which is 14th in the league. And defensively, they're giving up 109.1 points per 100, which is 18th. Uh, so their first game that, that you and I are talking about here is Wednesday at Phoenix. Uh, the Suns are two and 11. Offensively, they're the worst offense in the league. 30th, 101 points per 100. Defensively, they're 27th, 114.9 points per 100. This is a team that the Spurs actually blew out already, one of their few blowouts. But the difference uh, in this game is that Devin Booker will be back. And Phoenix recently took Boston to overtime in a loss. Uh, So, Tom, my question to you is, who do you have in this game uh, between the Spurs and Suns? So, this week coming up, you know, you, you said a couple tough games in here. This is not one of the tough games. This is a good measuring stick week because start out against arguably the worst team in the league. Yeah. Then you play a pretty good team in the West. Then you play the best team. Then you play another pretty good team. If the Spurs struggle against the Suns, then I'm worried. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they will even with Booker. Um I mean, Booker will make the game more interesting. He'll make it closer than it was last time. But I think LaMarcus Aldridge is going to have another good game against this team. Um, just he, he shot the ball very well against the Suns last time. Um, and yeah, I, I trust Derek White to play very good defense on Devin Booker. I, I, I trust everything he does, but... I mean, especially defensively, 
we're we're now getting something out of the Spurs that we have not had in the first ten games of the season. You know, like the the defense at the point guard position. I'm I'm very encouraged by that. Okay, so you have the Spurs. Yeah. Yeah, I have the Spurs as well. I just, uh, like you mentioned, I, I feel like LaMarcus is going to have his way again against the Suns front court. And now they, they just got a little bit worse because they uh, they, they traded, uh, they, they, they let go of Tyson Chandler. And now he's with the Lakers. So so they don't even have to see Tyson Chandler as a backup five. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Booker's gonna, Booker might give them a little bit of headache with his scoring. But on the opposite end, you know, he has to go out and guard now DeRozan still. He has to go out and guard um, Derek White, like you mentioned. So so they're gonna, it's going to be, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to even out. And I do expect San Antonio to win this game even though Rudy Gay and Pau Gasol will be out. Um, then, Tom, on Thursday, the Spurs have their second back-to-back of the season. They play in L.A. against the Clippers for the first time. The Clippers are 8-5 and five this season. They just beat the Warriors without Steph Curry. Uh, the Clippers uh, offensively are um, number 7, 112.1 points per 100, and defensively number 14, 108.3 points per 100. Who do you have in this one between the Spurs and Clippers? So this is... An interesting matchup for me. Um, and, and this is the second night of the back-to-back, right? Yes, so, second night. Mm-hmm. So that obviously complicates things and makes it totally irrelevant. Um, I'm kind of kidding. But I I think that this is the kind of game where the this is the kind of team, rather, where the, the Spurs have struggled against it, where it's not one guy that's beating you. It's a whole bunch of guys putting in a, a couple points i want to see how boban does obviously um i miss that guy um but i i think that especially on the second night of a, a back-to-back this clippers team is getting hot right now um i i say spurs probably lose this game okay and i agree with you 100 um i'm also taking the clippers in this one Again, I'm a big on the math part, and just that, just the, the the numbers already paint the Clippers as a better team alone. And then I see that they beat the Warriors now, obviously without Steph Curry. I have a lot of, and it's the second night of back to back. I just feel like that's that's almost like a schedule loss for the Spurs, uh, just because of the circumstances. Um, let's go ahead and go to this this Sunday, uh, this weekend. The Spurs will play the Golden State Warriors for the first time. The Warriors are 11 and three. On the season, uh, offensively, they're number one best offense in the league, scoring 120.1 points for 100. They're the 10th best defense, uh, holding teams to 107.6 points for 100. However, there's some issues with Golden State right now. Uh, injury-wise, Steph Curry is, is suffering from a groin injury, so we're not sure just exactly if he's going to be, be available by Sunday. And now the, the Warriors are, the, are their own worst enemy. They're, they're kind of in some controversy right now because uh, Draymond Green and Kevin Durant got into it after that Clippers game where it went all the way into the locker room. And Green has now been suspended by the team uh, tonight on Tuesday that you and I are recording this against the Atlanta Hawks. So um, let's go ahead and, and base this prediction on assuming Steph does play. Uh, wh- who do you think wins this game on, on Sunday in San Antonio between the Warriors and Spurs? Well, I think that what's going on with the Warriors right now is like right now we're seeing exactly how this team will fall apart. The one, the the most important player on this team is Steph Curry. That's why, to me, he's been the most valuable player for the last couple of years now. Because if you take Steph Curry out of the Warriors lineup, they're human. Doesn't matter how talented they are as a roster, and they are even without Curry, probably more talented than every other team in the NBA. But 
you take Steph Curry off the floor, they don't play the same way. And so they get into more games that they got into last night with the Clippers where it's close when it shouldn't be. And then you have Draymond Green not passing the ball to Kevin Durant when he's screaming for it and then turning the ball over on the last possession of the game. And they start yelling at each other on the bench. And then they're not just yelling about basketball anymore, right? Shams is reporting that while they were going at Draymond, because, you know, Draymond made a bad decision on that play. Um, so, so the locker room was telling them that. And when, he does, when they do, he's like, brings up KD's impending free agency. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was about to talk about that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so now it's not just, you. Did, it's KD going, why didn't you pass me the ball? And him going, I know you're leaving, you know? Like, that's different. That's not like a competitive basketball thing. That's like some very serious locker room trauma happening. And um, so <laughs> part of me thinks that this, the Warriors are going to rattle off you know, 20 straight wins just to make us all look stupid mm-hmm. um, for even saying anything about it. But, I mean, we're getting to a point where there's too many cooks for these guys. Mm-hmm. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Raymond Green, Kevin Durant, Boogie Cousins. There are two guys on there that I know will, like, get into arguments with their teammates. A third that absolutely does and like now it's a point of contention that he has that he's in a contract year so it's not just drama it's it's bad yeah in in golden state is bad so so who do you have in this one assuming because curry's only out on the injury report for for um for uh, Monday and Tuesday, but I don't know if he'll be back by Saturday, by Sunday, but let's just assume he's back by Sunday. Um, Who would you have between the Spurs and Warriors? All right. So if, if Steph Curry plays the Warriors win this game, okay. uh, If he, if he, I'm going to say he doesn't play though. And the Spurs win this game. So when, when we, when you count the score next week, I'm saying the Spurs be the Warriors because Steph Curry didn't play. Okay. Okay. I'm assuming he's he's gonna play, and so I'm gonna pick the Warriors. And I agree with you. Uh-huh. Look. Okay. So there's 99% of me believes that they're just gonna run run the run the league down again. Like you know, just going like like you mentioned, like just going to this crazy winning streak, and they're just gonna make us all look you know uh, uh, dumb here. But there's that little one percent of me where it feels like this is the first time it's really gotten out, and it's really gotten bad. Um, let's, let's just describe this one of the most tense things that has happened for this era Warriors team. For sure. And they've been able to, to kind of hide a lot of their controversy over the past two years. But now this is one where it's actually gotten public, where they've had to suspend, uh, you know, one of their players, a guy who who draws up the most controversy on their team, which is Draymond. Now, let's just play a quick little hypothetical here, um, since, since, uh, since I have you on here. Let's just say that everything goes horrible for the Warriors, their chemistry, and, and one of Draymond or KD asks for a trade out. You know, let's just, let's just say it goes to the worst possible place. And, and let's just say that they do they, they, that they're able to get rid of one of these two players before February. Do you think the Spurs in that event that the Warriors did break up this season should get even more aggressive in terms of upgrading their team, or do you think they should just run it that, that they would just uh, keep it at with the kind of team they have? 
Like, and when uh, I mean, and when I mean, when, when I mean, you get more aggressive. Like I'm talking, like maybe po- potentially putting somebody like Murray or or White in a trade package just to try to get some sort of all star or, or impact player. Yeah, I I think they should absolutely trade Dejounte Murray and Pau Gasol for Kevin Durant. That's my. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I I think that this Warriors team, obviously they're like a super mega Voltron, but. Like I said, if you take Curry out, he's like the brain of that Voltron. And then you just got like four cars stuck together and it looks kind of weird, you know? And yeah. I I genuinely think that if, if Steph Curry's health continues to be a problem, this Warriors team is going to be beatable. And when this Warriors team is beatable, you see all this other stuff, you know? <laughs> like, the these guys... They say, they say winning fixes everything, right? True in a lot of ways. But what about when winning is the only thing you do? When winning is the default, you know? Yeah. Like, like then, then you have guys start – once winning is assumed, then you have guys starting to want more for themselves. And I think that's kind of where the Warriors are now, where it's like an embarrassment of riches. and now it's starting to become an issue where you know the these guys are getting a little selfish and a little defensive and you know you got contract years coming up and it's you know all of those guys their their lives are impacted by the career decisions of the other guys they're playing with and it's all kind of up in the air now um, yeah so it's 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 tough to maintain a dynasty you know Especially when you, you know, the the caps, the 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 TV money allowed them to sign Durant, but that's not affecting the cap much anymore. So it's tougher to keep all of these guys. Yeah. Um. And like, you know, Draymond knows that if the Warriors could have one or the other, Kevin Durant or Draymond Green, they would have Kevin Durant. Draymond knows that. Um, so I think, I think we're starting to see this Warriors team splinter a little bit. Um, and yeah, I I think the Spurs beat them in that game and break it open a little little bit further. Okay. Uh, again, if Curry plays, I'm going to go ahead and assume that the Warriors win. If he doesn't, that gets interesting to me, but I'd still pick the Warriors even without Curry. Uh, in that game on Sunday. So let's go to the last game we're going to preview, Tom, and that's uh, Monday night. Now, this is another back-to-back for the Spurs. Uh, so right after they play the Warriors on Sunday at home, they have to get on a plane and get right to New Orleans, and they play the Pelicans on Monday night. Uh, the Pelicans are 7-6 and six this season. Offensively, they're number 6, uh, 114.2 points for 100. Defensively, number 21, 111 points for 100. Um, who do you have in this one between the Spurs and Pelicans on the second night of a back-to-back? Yeah, this this game is probably not going to go the Spurs' way, um, regardless of the result on the night before. May, only only way they have a shot in this game, I think, is if they get so blown out by, by the Warriors so early that DeMar DeRozan only plays like 15 minutes, and you know the guys still have kind of fresh legs for the next day. Um, Spurs played. It was a pretty close game against the Pelicans when they played earlier this season, right? It was, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think we're going to see Anthony Davis have a, a little better showing than he did the previous encounter. So okay. I'm, I'm going to say Pelicans in this one. Okay, I'm with you. I'm picking the Pelicans as well. And so, you know, just by, by, by my prediction, I'm only assuming the Spurs win one of these next four just based on the predictions I just made here. Uh, you're assuming that if they beat the Warriors, uh, they will go 2-2 two and two, uh, during this stretch um, of the next four games. So, so we'll go ahead and see what happens with the Spurs. I mean, obviously, this is a really tough stretch, like you mentioned. Uh, what did you call it, the measuring stick stretch? So it's yeah. going to be tough for them. So awesome. It's a good, good measuring stick week. We'll, we'll have a better idea of where this team is at. But also, don't draw too many conclusions because it's two back-to-backs. You know, these men yeah. get managed differently. It's, guys are tired. It's, it's not really super indicative of, you know, how a team is going to be for the rest of the way. So temper, temper, your, uh, temper your takes, please. Don't, don't burn me with the hot stuff. Oh, they're they're gonna they're gonna still come out out here regardless. So, but yeah, and, and, and that's what um that's kind of what what me and uh I I remember I did a preview a season preview podcast earlier in the year when the schedule came out, and that's kind of what we talked about was that November and December there's gonna be some really tough tough stretches for the Spurs where they may be around 500 or even fall below 500, but it's gonna kind of come around. In the second half of the season, when, when it gets a lot easier um, in, in the springtime, they're going to have a lot of Easter Conference, um, pretty easy matchups. So, so yeah, so this this period coming up is going to be a really rough stretch for the Spurs, so we'll see how they how they handle it. Um, thanks, Tom, for joining me on SpursCast, episode 517. Again, SpursCast listeners, if you're on Twitter, please follow him at the Real Tom Petrini. Thanks again, Tom, for joining me on SpursCast, episode 517. Again, if you're on Twitter, please follow him at Real Tom Petrini. Um, just a few other... Um, uh, notes, uh, please continue to check out ProjectSpurs.com. Steven Anderson has his three standout players articles after each home game, or both games, home and road. Um, my latest article was called Staggering Minutes uh, Could Be Key with More Playmakers for Spurs, where I discuss, uh, you know, kind of what me and Tom discuss is, is how Pop will have to find minutes to keep uh, LaMarcus, uh, Rudy Gay, Derek White, and DeRozan uh, able to have like a balanced offensive system where each of them can contribute and, and kind of carry the offense for a little bit during a game. Um, Tom has his, his, his interview up with Jakob Pertl. Uh, ben Bor- Benjamin Bornstein uh, has his latest prospects, prospect watch up on uh, Dedrick Lawson. And then lastly, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. Thank you. Have a great day.